pray. This is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. We have every reason to rejoice and be glad in it. At one level, on a geopolitical stage, and locally, as financial issues are hitting our nation, we are still incredibly rich and comfortable. And Lord, you have not promised that. And yet here we are. And so we give thanks. We give thanks to you, Lord, in hard times and in the easy times. And this seems to us, Father, on one hand disconcerting around the world, and yet it is a glorious day, every day, every day that we walk with you and live for you and know that we are safe in your hands. So fill us, Father, with peace and joy, as is appropriate for those who belong to the living Christ. These things we ask in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. This morning is going to be a little bit different than usual. Uh, I've been preaching through the book of Romans. This is what was normally called Vision Sunday, not because anyone here has a vision, but because this is uh, approximately the time, actually it's not even approximately the time, we normally do this in January, but because of the pandemic, everything got messed up. Um, and so we had our elders retreat. We usually come back from our elders and wives retreat and share with you things that are going to be happening and things that we think need to change and, and all of that stuff. And we realize we're, we're really not in a place to do that right now. Um, however, with as many people as there are who have been coming to Calvary Bible Church, we thought the most important thing for us to do was just try to make sure that we're all on the same page here in terms of what we value and, and what are the key things that, that, that kind of bind us together as a church. If we're going to have unity, then we, we need to understand these things. We obviously have unity in Christ, uh, which is not affected by these things, but practical unity among the members of the church, it'd be really helpful if we all understood uh, what the things that we value are. So this morning, I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28 in preparation for this message, and we'll be sharing the Lord's table at the end of this, just fair warning. Uh, so deal with your heart as is necessary uh, before then, and you know all the reasons why. Today I'm tasked with the happy responsibility of talking to you about some of the core distinctives of Calvary Bible Church. These past two years, more than two years now, of pandemic have presented us with extraordinary challenges, not just us, but to all of the church of our Lord. In times like these, it's appropriate to ask with the Apostle Paul, who has known the mind of the Lord? And who has been his counselor? Or as Nebuchadnezzar declared, God does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the people of earth, and no one can hold back his hand or question him. What have you done? These past two years are a testament to the truth that man makes his plans, but the Lord determines the outcome. In the midst of all of the, the medical and political and relational confusion of these recent years, I mean, we could have predicted 
that our church would have experienced some significant downsizing. And isn't that what we've experienced? (laughs) The Lord had other plans. And much to our surprise, Calvary Bible Church has grown through these years of unprecedented uh, circumstances. Over the past few months, attendance numbers, which we normally don't even look at the numbers, but it became so obvious that we were filling up and it kind of scared us, what do we do? And then we had to start looking at the numbers. And, and I can tell you that we have repeatedly, uh, just in terms of the number of people here, our attendance records have crushed anything this little church has experienced in 72 years. As you can imagine, this has brought some significant challenges for our church elders as we seek to give leadership here. I mean, how do we shepherd a congregation that's rapidly growing in a building that doesn't grow? <laughs> how do we help people connect with one another in discipleship relationships? How do we maintain our doctrinal bearings without compromise as the world rapidly changes around us and puts the pressure on us. We love the fact that so many of you have recently decided to make Calvary your church home. And we're convinced that in this situation, the best way this week that we can love you is to make sure you understand who we are and who you are in Christ. And so that's where we're going this morning. Certainly the very best thing we can do is to minister the word to you in various ways, certainly from this pulpit, but in other ways as well, week after week, day after day. That's a given here. And we want you to understand a little bit. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost as if we, we're peeling back the curtain a little bit and showing you what the elders talk about all the time. These are the core issues. These are the issues that concern us. These are the issues that excite us. They excite us and concern us both at the same time, which gives us some sense that we're probably on the right track. And by this, I mean I want to talk to you about some of the things that we value most as a church, things that have made Calvary Bible Church what it is today, a church full of sinners, to be sure, yes. But a church that Jesus loves and seems to be blessing in wonderful ways right now that we could never have expected. So this morning, I have three major themes I won't tell you ahead of time, but things I want to discuss with you before we share the Lord's table. First, I want us to recall to mind our highest purpose. I want us to recall to mind our highest purpose. And if you look in your bulletin, uh, there's a place there where this outline is set down so you can follow along. Now, here's what I want to do. I, I want to begin by reminding, reminding all of us of our, our, of our purpose statement. Years and years ago, well over a decade ago, we adopted what we call our purpose statement. And it's on the wall right outside this door. It's also in your bulletin. If you look at the back page of your bulletin, right next to the announcements, you'll see that printed. And here's what I want to do. I, I want us to recite it. And then we're not going to have time to unpack it all, but I do want to lay down the primary text that explains why we believe this is, this is our purpose. 
And so, if you have it ready, and many of you have this memorized, I know, because we've been doing it for so long. But here's our purpose statement. Say it with me. We exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ in all things to the glory of God in the joy of all peoples. And we derive this statement from several passages in the New Testament. But the root of it all is found in 1 Peter 2.9. 1 Peter 2.9. Now I'm going to have several scriptures to look at this morning, so you can turn quickly or just write the reference down for future reference. Um, so 1 Peter 2.9, here's, here's, here's what Peter says, the Spirit says through Peter. But you, speaking of the church, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that, I want you to hear purpose here, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Christ, the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why you're here. Beloved, you're not here to find a job and get rich. You're not here to change the world by coming up with some great new invention, although maybe God will use that for his own glory. That'll be wonderful. But your primary purpose, your highest purpose, is to be in community with other people or in contact with other people whereby you will proclaim by the way that you live and the way that you speak and the way you endure hardship that Jesus is excellent in all, in, in all things. That means in sickness and in health, no matter where you are. My friends, this is why God put you here. This is why God left you here. Why is it that on the moment that you first believed, the Lord didn't go took you right up to heaven. That'd be great. You know why he didn't? Because we have a part in what he's doing. He's given us a purpose. We exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ in all things to the glory of God, in the joy of all peoples. There's no wasted words here. We believe in, in cross-cultural missions, as you'll see here in a minute. We also believe in ministering to people in our community the gospel. And we also love God's church. And so, my friends, this is why we're here. We proclaim the excellencies of Christ, or we aspire to proclaim the excellencies of Christ in all things. We aspire to tell the world that Christ is worthy of our exclusive trust, our hope, our dependence, our love, our adoration, our worship, both for now and forever. That's our purpose. And there's so much more that I wish I could talk about now, but we don't have the time. If you're going to remain, if you are going to remain at Calvary Bible Church or become a member of Calvary Bible Church, you need to know these things. You need to know what drives us, what motivates us. And if that passion, if that passion isn't what you're hoping for in a church like Calvary Bible Church, then perhaps this church isn't for you. I wish I had time to, to kind of dive into this more, but perhaps we can do that on another day. I, I know we have in the past, and so maybe we should. But for today, for the sake of time, let's, let's move to the second major theme that I want to talk to you about, having, 
having recalled to mind our, our highest pers- uh, purpose, let's clarify the mission before us. God has not only given us He's not only given us a purpose, but he's also given us a mission. Now, in order to do this, I, I, I want to take a few minutes to look at some of the great commission passages of the New Testament. And perhaps most famously, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Matthew 28, 16 and 20, through 20. And, and if you're not there yet, then you should be there. I want you to see this. I want you to see the words here I don't want you to just take this from me. Let's make sure that what I'm saying to you is actually there in the scriptures. So here we go, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Follow along with me now as I read. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. This is after the resurrection. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, the first significant observation that I want to make here, and there's probably 50 observations we can make here, but just a few. The first one is, I want you to understand, there's something that we need to understand about the Great Commission. And that is, really two things. There is both a major indicative and a great imperative. And you may be saying, huh, I have no idea what you just said. Well, that's okay. Let me explain it to you. An indicative is a word that indicates what is. It's a verb that indicates what is. What is? What is something that you can count on forever in this case. An imperative, on the other hand, is a word or a verb that commands us to do something. So an indicative says, this is what is. This is reality. And you can count on that. And the other one is, this is the command. I want you to do something. That's an imperative. Got that? Okay, so here we go. In this verse, in this passage, the indicative is found in verse 18. All authority, this is Jesus speaking, all authority is given to Jesus in heaven and in earth. And there's another indicative in verse 20. Look at verse 20. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so you see the two indicatives here. Indicative number one, all authority in heaven and earth belongs to me. And number two indicative, I'm with you. Always. He who has all authority over everything is with you. Always as you perform this mission. Now, this is a really profound and empowering declaration. Jesus' words here hearken back to the prophecy of Daniel, which I understand you probably 
heard a little bit about in the study in Jeremiah this morning in Sunday school. But Daniel one day had a prophecy. He was in Babylon. He had a prophecy, Daniel 7, 13 and 14. You might ref write that reference down. Now, remember that Jesus said, all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. Now, read this prophecy in Daniel, Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Here, Daniel takes us into the eternal throne room in heaven, and this is what he sees. He says, I saw one like a son of man who came up to the ancient of days. Now, let me just, let me just give you what this is meaning so far. The Son of Man, this is, this is the second person of the Trinity, right? The ancient of days is God the Father, the first person of the Trinity. So the Son of Man comes up to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him, that is, to this Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, men, and every language may serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and it will not pass away. Now, let's go back to the mountain where the disciples are. They're standing in front of Jesus. And before his disciples that day, here is Jesus, the Son of Man. By the way, Son of Man was Jesus' favorite name for himself. Here is the Son of Man. Here is the King of Kings who had been given dominion over the whole world and everything outside the world forever. And so before laying out their marching orders, before issuing the great imperative or the great commission, he reminds us of the great indicatives. Namely, that he alone possesses all authority to accomplish all his holy will in all of the world, even to the end of the age. This, beloved, is the great indicative. Two great indicatives. Number one, I have all authority and power over everything. And number two, I am with you. As Kevin DeYoung observes there can only be a mission imperative because there is first a glorious indicative. God does not send us out to conquer. We go because he already has conquered. He is already in charge. We go only because he reigns. And this sets us up for the great imperative. Now we know what is, what is true. Now we need to think about what we should do. What does Jesus, the king, command his original followers to do? Because whatever he committed his original followers to do, mostly everything are things that we should do. What is the Great Commission? I, I want you to look at verse 19. Notice what he says here. It's Matthew 28. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, I realize most of the time when preachers preach this passage, the emphasis is on the word go. Go! Right? But if you, if you could see what 
the original language, how it, how it lays out and the, the actual words in their forms, here's what you find. The imperative, the command in this sentence is not go. It's not go. The word for go here is actually a participle. And we'll come back to that in a minute. But the imperative, the command, is actually make disciples. This is the Great Commission. Make disciples. This is what we were left here to do. We were left here to make disciples. This is how we proclaim the excellencies of Christ. And so the emphasis is not on going. In fact, the participle probably is better translated, when you go, or as you are going, make disciples. Colin Marshall observes, the commission is not fundamentally about missions out there somewhere else in another country, although it, it certainly includes that. It is a commission that establishes disciple-making as the normal agenda and priority of every church and every Christian. That's the command. Beloved, can I just tell you about the, the great suggestion that Jesus gave us? There isn't any. This isn't do it if you want to do it. Do it if you feel good about it. If it hurts, don't do it. No. It's as you are going, make disciples. Moms, you know what your primary role is in your home? Make disciples. Dads, you know what the primary role in your home is? Make everybody in that home a disciple of Jesus Christ. Don't pound them into it. Don't force them into it. Lead them into it. The Great Commission is about making disciples, about making followers of Jesus. And by the way, the remaining participles, which have the force of imperatives, they kind of flesh out what is entailed in the disciple-making process. We go, we baptize, we teach. Which, by the way, Baptism and teaching are the prerogatives of the church, not the parachurch ministry. I'm not saying there's no place for parachurch ministry. What I am saying is the supremacy belongs to the church. The primacy belongs to the local church. We are called to baptize and to teach. And so, primarily, the Great Commission is supposed to, is supposed to be occurring through churches, through local churches with established elders. Now, let's turn to another version of the, uh, another Great Commission kind of passage. Luke 24, 44 through 49. And I know you're, you're familiar with this passage, as with these others, but maybe you're learning some things in a fresh way. Now, I've given you enough time. Luke 24, 44 through 49, Jesus said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law and Moses, now let me just say that phrase again, that all things written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms 
must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds. Isn't that amazing? Remember, remember what Paul said about Lydia? God opened her heart. Here is the Holy Spirit opening their minds to understand the scriptures. And I hope that's happening to some of you, even right now. And he said to them, thus it is written that that is in the prophets and in the law and in the Psalms is, is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending you forth. I am sending forth the promise of my Father, which is the Holy Spirit. I'm sending forth the promise of the Father upon you, but you are to stay in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. And once again, the disciples are being sent out on a mission, and the ground of the mission is the great indicative that, that the Son of Man has all authority, and this Son of Man is Jesus. But... Whereas the authority in Matthew 28 was the person of Christ, now, here, the authority is the Scriptures. It's the Scriptures. Now that the Lord Jesus himself is in heaven, he has left us the Scriptures to be his authority over his people. The disciples' message is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament scriptures concerning the promised Christ. Wish we had time to talk about that. The absolute impossibility that anyone could fill even a fourth of the prophecies that were made about the Messiah. In one person, it is statistically impossible. And yet there we have it all the way through. So the disciples were to proclaim repentance for forgiveness of sins to all the nations. And the promise of the Father was to be given to the people, his disciples, so that they could have what they needed to make disciples wherever they are and wherever they go. Now here's another passage. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. So here we're progressing. Jesus' life, Jesus' death, he rises again from the dead. He meets with the disciples. He gives them the Great Commission. He ascends back into heaven. And the book of Acts begins. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we read, this is Jesus, Acts 1, 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the world. Once again, the, the theme is spirit-empowered witness about the person and work of Jesus. And when we read the rest of the book of Acts, this is what we discover. That the mission was overwhelmingly focused on proclaiming the word of God and bearing witness that Jesus is the fulfillment of it. Daryl Bach puts it this way. The commission, Acts 1.8, 
describes the church's key assignment of what to do until the Lord returns. This is what we do. Until the Lord returns. The priority for the church until Jesus returns, a mission of which the community must never lose sight, is to witness to Jesus to the end of the world. The church exists, he writes, in major part to extend the apostolic witness of Jesus wherever they were. And this is what we see throughout the book of Acts. Followers of Christ are committed to witnessing to the person and work of Jesus Christ in fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. Disciples are made, they're baptized, they're taught to obey the scriptures, which we'll talk about in Romans next week. Get ready. Some of you are going to be shaken. I hope. Disciples are made, baptized, they're taught to obey the scriptures as the apostles and others moved from place to place, establishing churches as they went. It all begins in Jerusalem, and then Philip takes the gospel to a few villages in Samaria and to the Ethiopian eunuch, after which he takes the message to Caesarea. Paul and Barnabas proclaim the word in Cyprus and Antioch and Pisidia and Iconium and Lystra. Their mission, however, is not just evangelism. It's also deep discipleship. They win converts, that is, they make disciples. They plant churches as they go. And they build up existing congregations. And from there, the Spirit empowers Paul and others to go to Derbe and Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and Athens and Corinth and Ephesus, and then it's back to Jerusalem. And then Paul preaches a message while he's in chains before the Jewish council, and then before Felix and Festus and King Agrippa and Bernice. And then it was off to Crete and Malta and finally to Rome. But you know what? At the end of the book of Romans, Paul doesn't think he's done. He says, listen, when I come, my expectation is that you're going to fund me. He had his own GoFundMe account, he thought. <laughs> and his expectation was that God would send him to Spain. He knew what the mission was. In fact, he said crazy things like, look, I have no more room here in, in Central Asia. Or, I don't have any room in Turkey or in Greece or in any... Look, you're, you're crowding me. I'm going to Spain. And the point of all of this, beloved, is... It's simply to say that making disciples and planning churches is not some, some idea that the elders came up with many years ago back when Joe and Frank were elders. This is what the church has been doing since the very beginning. As God providentially moves people from place to place, we bear witness of Jesus Christ in order to make disciples. We baptize, we teach people how to obey God's word, and we plant churches. That is what the Great Commission is all about. Now, all of that was about understanding our great purpose and our mission. Now we need to ask, how should Calvary Bible Church respond to these biblical ideals? Well, 
We started by recalling to mind our highest purpose, and then we clarified the mission before us, and then as briefly and quickly as I can, let's chart a course of faithful service for us, for Calvary Bible Church. And this is where it gets very practical. In, in fact, as I highlight each of these core distinctives, I hope you'll be able to see that there's a straight line that connects our high purpose from God and our biblical mission with what is happening at Calvary Bible Church, what we're doing, what we've sought to always do as long as Calvary Bible Church has been Calvary Bible Church. And so core distinctive number one, expository preaching. You're familiar with that because you hear it here almost all the time, except today. <laughs> Why? Because we're committed to verse by verse, chapter by chapter, methodically working through what God has said in the Word. And, and the reason for that is because we want you to hear from God, not just what the preacher wants you to hear. We don't pick and choose most of the time what text we want you to hear. We just go to the next set of verses, next set of verses, next set of verses, in an attempt to make sure that you're hearing what God wants you to hear. Number two, biblical evangelism. And some of you may know this, but every other Friday night, we have a group that goes downtown to share the gospel. And, and we all should be sharing the gospel as we have opportunity. If you need to be trained, we can help with that. Uh, we've got ways to train you, to disciple you in how to make disciples. And it begins with evangelism. Core distinctive number three, cross-cultural missions. This is where it gets a little, little difficult and emotional, right? We have a long history of sending qualified men and women to nations, to other nations, to help believers in foreign lands proclaim the excellencies of Christ, where the gospel is yet to be known. And you all know that Dexter and Jesse May are moving to Uganda very, very soon. Their last Sunday will be June, yes, June 26th. That is not far away. And my hope is that we will soon be able to send teams down to visit them. Uh, in fact, I know that uh, um, Christ Fellowship has already planned a trip. And the Mays aren't even there. <laughs> we got to catch up. <laughs> my point is we're, we're sending men and women to do what the Word of God has called us to do. And so they're going to work with Sufficiency of Scripture Ministries. And by the way, you know what they've done down there? I'm not going to tell you all they've done, but I'll tell you one thing. One of the first things they did was they built a church. And that church didn't even have a building. They just met in their home for a long time. Because they understood the great commission and the great hope of God's work in building his church. And so, core distinctive number four, church membership. You saw that this morning. And I kind of covered all of that, so I won't do it again, except to say that we believe this is an imperative. If you're a Christian, you belong. You, you, you should commit yourself to a Bible-preaching, Bible-believing, Christ-loving church. No excuses. No excuses. And so that's church membership, and a lot... A lot could uh, be said about that, 
And listen, my friend, if your idea of involvement in church means watching your favorite preacher on TV or bouncing from church to church without ever committing to a local body of believers, then perhaps this isn't the church for you. Or, better yet, maybe today would be a great day to repent of that because it's what the Lord wants for you. And Jesus said, why do, you, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things that I say? Distinctive number five, personal ministry. And we call this every member ministry. If you're a Christian, you should be ministering. You should be, your radar should be up for needs. How can I meet those needs? A lot of those needs are physical needs. A lot of them are spiritual needs. It could be one-on-one -on -one discipleship. It could be being involved in, in getting trained in biblical counseling, ladies' Bible studies, uh, ISI for the men, uh, the men's Bible study. Um, Listen, discipleship is, is not just about meeting together for coffee and donuts and enjoying Christian fellowship. Making disciples means we encourage one another in the word to grow in our obedience to Jesus. It's about learning to obey everything Jesus has commanded. Are you willing to commit to being discipled? Are you willing to make disciples? Beloved, I want you to hear me say that what Jesus says is your mission is to make disciples. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. We can help. But it starts by knowing what God requires of you. Distinctive number seven, intensive training. Uh, we need this and we have this. I think about the, the guys who are in E4M. You know, they're graduating after two years of, of working together they're graduating from that, that two-year course. A new cohort will be forming in the fall. There'll be a, a Q&A scheduled on May 22nd during adult Sunday school if you want to learn more about what is involved. And believe me, there's a, a lot involved in this. It's not going to be for everyone. Core distinctive number eight is church planting. And if you would, take your bulletin just briefly here, and you're going to find this on the inside. And these are our two church plants. This is Living Hope Bible Church that we sent out first there in Mansfield. If you live anywhere near there, you should go visit them. Christ, uh, Christ Fellowship Bible Church, they're over here in Lake Worth. Uh, if you haven't visited them yet, you should visit them. If you live on that side of town, you should seriously consider um, becoming a part of that church. Listen, we need your seats. <laughs> These are thriving churches. They were birthed from these, this church. The leadership was trained here. And God is doing wonderful things in those churches. And I think they have more seats than we do. <laughs> we love these two churches. And you will love these church, two churches if you visit them. And so we encourage you to check that out. By the way, as we've been talking about where do we get more seats from, it occurred to us that... Um, uh, maybe many of you uh, moms with young children don't know we have a nursing mother's room right behind this wall. It's not a closet. It's a nursing mother's room. It's got a TV in there. Uh, you can, and, and no men allowed under any circumstances. It's a great place. If you want to go there, and you can hear the service and watch the service. Uh, the other thing we thought of was uh, that uh, for folks that are uh, here or down, down the hall in Fellowship Hall, uh, if you need a place where your kids are, are getting a little agitated or, or just need a little attention, there's a cry room. Most churches have like a cry room, right? So where they could go if they, 
If they want to be here and hear the word as best they can, but they understand that, that their little one is having a bad day, then let's go to the cry room. And so that, uh, that um, uh, conference room right down the hall on the left going that way uh, is available for you for that purpose. And, and perhaps that will free up, you know, just a couple of seats. Um, we're just trying to do little things right now. And, and that may be a big issue for you. I'm sure some of you and many of you have asked, what in the world are we doing to uh, plan on managing the growth? All I can say to you at this point is that we are working to come up with a plan. This is not the first time this has happened at Calvary, but never to this magnitude. And uh, we've tried a couple of things. We've knocked on a couple of doors, and those doors have been closed. And so we're going to the next thing. And... Uh, and all that means is that we need to pray, right? Um, man makes his plans, and the Lord determines the outcome. And so we trust him. Look, our goal is simply to be faithful in the next decision. But we're doing that leaning forward. Uh, we want to have a, a plausible, what we call a fallible, dependent plan for how we're going to resolve this issue, at least in the medium term. And, um, but I, I can tell you that our plan for, for planning churches is still intact. And so three, four years from now, uh, the Lord may <laughs> uh, provide for us to do that earlier than that, but our plan is about three years from now that we'll plan another church. And I know you're going to ask where, and I'm not telling. I don't know. Uh, we're, we're waiting on the Lord. We don't want to get ahead of him. Uh, I've done that. That's no fun, because then correction is needed, and we just don't want to go there. Let's just take our time, uh, even as we're moving as fast as we can. And so that's how you can pray for us as, as leaders of this church. We need you to pray for us. We need wisdom that right now we don't have. There were times where the Apostle Paul said, I'm going there. And as he started going, the Lord said, no, you're not going there. <laughs> and, and, and that's where we are right now. We had, a, we had some thoughts about what we would do, and we're pretty sure now, just by God's providence, nope, that's not happening. And so pray for us as we move forward. This is a wonderful problem to have, right? And, and be thankful that this isn't first century Jerusalem, where there was 120 people, and then 3,000 <laughs> got baptized. What would we do? I'm saying there's precedent for this. And uh, the pressure that we're feeling is nothing compared to the difficulties that the apostles faced in the early days of the church. Well, it's time to have the Lord's Supper now. Pray that you will take it seriously, and Jason will give you further instructions on that. Father, thank you for this hour. Pray, Lord, that you would have your way as the gospel is not only proclaimed again, but as it is demonstrated through the Lord's table pray, Father, that your spirit will be at work in the lives of some to bring them to joyful repentance and to become a disciple of Jesus Christ this very day, we pray in Jesus' name.